Hallelujah. And each and every one of you, we're so glad that you are here. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter number 6. And right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to read from verse 5 to verse 15 right now. And uh, in Matthew chapter 5, I'm sorry, chapter 6, Jesus gives instructions to people that would be followers of him as to how they should give, how they should pray, and how they should fast. Last week we talked about where he said, when, when thou fastest, and how that uh, we aren't to do it to appear to men as to fast, because that would be exalting our flesh, and that completely defeats the purpose of fasting, because fasting is to humble our flesh. And so when we fast, we don't do it as a, uh, something that gets recognition of people. You'll see some of these same principles talked about when the Lord teaches his people how they should pray. But I want you to understand that uh, at the foundation of our uh, time together speaking today is the idea that each of us need to go through a time of renewal. Because no matter how good of an environment we're in, no matter how powerful of an experience we've had with God, no matter how good of a church we are involved with, all of us pick up corruption from this world around us. It begins to influence the way that we think. It begins to impact our flesh. And it begins to block the flow of God's blessings in our life. And just like a computer has to go through a system restore where they go through and they clean out the viruses spiritually, we need times of renewal. And February is a month of renewal. And we focused last week about renewal through fasting. And today and Tuesday night, we're going to be focusing on renewal through prayer. So Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5 says, when thou prayest, not if, But when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So you got a choice. There's two rewards you can get. One reward is the recognition and the applause of men. That's the only reward you get. Or you can select the reward of the Father who sees in secret but rewards you openly. So it's your choice. I don't know about you, but I'd prefer the reward of the Father. Verse 7, but when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Verse 10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. When thou prayest. We're going to talk about being renewed through prayer. Lord Jesus, we pray 
that you would empower us to very quickly and efficiently deliver the word today that you've placed in our heart. Let us, Lord Jesus, understand why it is that we need to pray. And as you've instructed us here, how to pray. And my request, Lord God, is at the end of this service that each of us would have a conversation with you, a very open and honest conversation with you. And it would lead to deeper communication this week and in the weeks to come. And that, therefore, would lead to a stronger relationship with you and greater empowerment to do your purpose. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. On Valentine's Day, everybody thinks about love stories. And the greatest love story ever told is a story that started in a garden. This story is about a man who was lonely. This man who was very lonely had never seen a woman before. Huh. When he went to sleep, God, who had taken note that this man was lonely and it was not good for him to be alone, created from his rib a creature. And he called this creature woman because she came out of the man. And so he formed the woman and placed the woman in the garden. And when Adam woke up, some people say this is why she's called woman. Because when Adam woke up and he first saw her, he said, whoa, man. (laughs) And uh, when he saw this woman, according to God's original design, he was attracted as a man to the woman. And he fell in love with this woman, this companion, that they spent time together and they enjoyed one another's fellowship. And this deepening communion and relationship was beautiful and no doubt pleasing to God their Father. But you know the story. The story goes that God had instructed Adam and given him a prohibition that he could not eat of the tree in the midst of the garden because if he ate of it, no matter how sweet it was, it was going to bring a curse and death into his life. Adam passed along these instructions to his wife, Eve. The story goes that they were in the garden and she got close to the tree and a serpent beguiled her. She partook of the fruit She had never received the instruction directly from God, only through Adam. She partook of the fruit herself. And as she bit into that fruit from this forbidden tree, she bit into curse, death, separation from God. And uh, as she was eating the fruit from the tree, the Bible says that she gave to her husband... Her husband, Adam, she gave to Adam, and Adam ate of the fruit as well. Now you say, well, why is that a love story? It's a love story for this reason. Adam had an understanding that Eve had entered into a new place that Adam was no longer in. And that was in a place of being under a curse, of being separated from God, 
and being in sin. And Adam chose that rather than him being separated from his beloved one in whom he was in relationship with, he partook as well and was part of her condemnation. And while they were separated from God, at least they were together. The Bible says God came walking in the cool of the garden and could not find Adam. Where art thou? The heart of God was grieved because he loved relationship with Adam and now it was broken because of sin. But you see, the story of Adam doesn't end there because the Bible lets us know that there was a second Adam that came. And the second Adam had a beloved as well. But it wasn't an individual, it was a conglomerate that would be called the ecclesia or the church. But the church's problem was, is it was not holy. It was full of sin. It was not called out yet. It was separated from God. It was in sin. We were partaking of sin. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. Do you know that? All of us here today were dead in our trespasses and sin. So we were in one place, uh, and the second Adam, Jesus Christ, was in another place. Uh, and he knew that the only way he could get to where we were to redeem us uh, was he had to partake of the fruit as well. And so he took the bitter cup, uh, and he drank it down. It was full of the sins of humanity. And Jesus, who knew no sin, the Bible says, says became sin he wasn't trapped he knew what he was doing he did it willingly because he loved you and me enough that he would not let iniquity hallelujah separate us from him and there he was stripped naked he was beaten he was nailed to the cross but the bible says that for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross and whenever with every beat of the whip and with the nail going into his hands he knew that he was going to be restored stored with his love. That's how much Jesus loved you. The sinless, amen, became sin and partook of shame for you. The greatest love story ever told is the story of how our relationship with Jesus was established and how he loves our relationship with us. The second greatest love story ever told is the story of a little girl, young lady, who lived in a house with two stepsisters and a stepmother. Come on now. Anybody know where I'm going? And uh, the stepmother favored the, her stepsisters. They had all the fancy clothes. They got all gussied up all the time. And Cinderella was made to slave. Yeah, you figured it out, Cinderella. We're so close to Disneyland, we got to give Walt his due. Amen? She uh, slaved in, in the kitchen mopping the floors, always on her knees, wearing tattered clothes, mistreated, made fun of, in humility, in brokenness, in servitude, she served. But then the prince said, I'm looking for somebody to connect with. I'm looking for somebody to have a relationship with. I need a queen. So he sent out the word and said, we're going to have a, a huge ball. Amen? And you guys know the rest of the story? that the, the sisters that got all gussied up never caught the attention of the prince 
But Cinderella, in her humility, with her sweet spirit and her inner beauty that shined from the outside, captured the attention of the prince. Uh, And when she was separated at midnight, the prince went out looking for Cinderella, this little girl who was mistreated, this young lady who her sisters didn't care for. The prince went looking for her, and they lived happily ever after because the glass slipper fit. I want to tell you today that prayer is the Cinderella of the church. Prayer is the Cinderella of our relationship with God. It doesn't get featured a whole lot. In fact, when we have prayer service, that's our least attended service that we have here. There's not a lot of glitz and glamour. There's uh, uh, not a lot of uh, preparation. There's not a lot of things that go into it in terms of it being a production. It doesn't garner a lot of attention, but I want to tell you that it gets the attention of the king. It gets the attention of the king. And there's something about when we humble ourselves, when we're willing to get on our knees, uh, and when we're willing to cry out to God, it gets the attention of God. And I want to tell you that the pathway of our relationship with God is paved with times of prayer and supplication to the Lord. Amen. And so I want to talk to you for a few minutes today about this important subject called prayer. Amen. Prayer is critically important and we cannot thrive as Christians without it. Because if we're not praying, we become carnally minded. And the Bible says that to be carnally minded is death. So in order to survive and thrive as a Christian, we've got to have passion And we've got to have vision. And both of these are born and maintained in prayer. You can't have passion without prayer. You can't have vision without prayer. You won't survive as a Christian without it. And uh, in the reading that we did for you in in the, the sixth chapter of Matthew, it said, when ye pray. Not if ye pray, but when ye pray which the understanding is Jesus expects all Christians to make this a regular part of their life. Okay? Not, I'm not saying this. This is what the Bible is implying here. When ye pray. And then in, in chapter 6 there, he gives us specific instructions when we pray how we are to pray. This is how you do it. Number one, he says, don't do it for men's recognition or men's applause. Let it be between you and God. Now, that doesn't mean that the only time you should pray is when no one else is around because the Bible teaches, we interpret Scripture with Scripture, that there are times when we pray pray corporately and there's tremendous power when we pray corporately. But we don't pray for men's recognition or men's applause or that's the reward that we get. Uh, Secondly, he said, when you pray, don't pray with vain repetition or religious ritual. Don't let it be just repeating phrases over and over again, but let it be conversation and communication between you and God. This is how you pray. And then thirdly, he gave us the formula for prayer. He said, when you pray, our Father, which art in heaven, praise. Uh, Hallowed be thy name praise thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven praise 
Give us this day our daily bread. Physical requests. Amen. Forgive us our debtors. Repentance. As we forgive those who have uh, trespassed against us. Uh, processing forgiveness. Uh, and lead us not into temptation. Spiritual requests. Deliver us from evil. Spiritual requests. Uh, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Returning to praise again. The formula for our communication and conversation with God. He was telling us how to pray. And finally, he said, if you're trying to pray and you've got unforgiveness in your heart against a brother or a sister, it's going to affect or hinder your prayer. You need to deal with that first. He showed us how to pray. Can I get an amen? We could do a full study on what Jesus taught us about how to pray. But I want to focus a little bit on this. The fact that he said, when ye pray. And the assumption is that we are praying. Well, I would have, have to probably admit that we all know about prayer. We, we all know we should pray. We know or we've been told that prayer works. But the problem is the when we pray doesn't happen very often. We all know that we should be doing more of it. But we get motivated for a while, and then we get distracted. Is this our condition? Can we admit to that? Y'all looking at me like, bro, you're on your own today. You put your hand up there. Can't you tell we're all pious? Look at me. Amen. But we all get motivated, then we get distracted. Our days are busy. We have so much to do. And all the mothers in the house with little ones said, Amen. All the men that are working at least one, maybe two jobs say, Amen. We're busy. We have so much to do. And there are so many distractions and entertainment that capture our attention. Before we pray, of course, of course, we need to look at our cell phone, see if we got any texts in the night. We need to look at who updated on Facebook who updated on, uh, um, uh, what's the picture one? I can't even remember. Instagram. <laughs> Who brought their dad? <laughs> what happened on Fox News? What happened on AOL? You've got mail. You've got to check everything out. Check your email. All the static and the noise, and it's not just in the morning, it's all day long, these distractions are capturing our attention, and the discipline and practice of prayer oftentimes is left behind. Are you guys with me today? It gets left behind, and as with any other practice, whenever we lose the urgency and the sense of purpose behind it, we abandon it. Not knowingly, but we just abandon it. And then all of a sudden the thought hits us. Oops, I should have been praying. I haven't prayed all week. Uh Uh-oh. Prayer is important and prayer is powerful. So why in the world does it get neglected in the life of a believer? Why is there this sense of tension between what I should be doing and what actually gets done? When it comes to prayer, we know we should be, and we know it would have positive impact. Why is there this difference between what we know we should be doing 
and what we're actually doing. We know that we can never become what we could be without it. We know that our future success and happiness and wholeness depends on our practicing this. We know that our anointing and our sense of well-being, our joy, our fulfillment, even in our other relationships, is tied to this practice. All of these things are waiting on me to pray, but why am I not praying? Why am I not pursuing intimacy and oneness with God on a daily basis? Why is everything else crowding out this important practice? And Jesus just says, when ye pray, and we're not praying. The Apostle Paul said it this way. The Apostle Paul said, the good that I would, I do not. It means the good things that I want to do, I end up not doing it. And uh, in 7.15 of Romans, Paul says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Anybody ever look back at your day and you're like, why didn't I do what I meant to do? And why did I do all that stuff I didn't plan on doing? Why did I neglect spiritual disciplines? Well, the Bible says it's the law of sin that's working in our members. Everybody say in our members. Not our church members, but the members of our physical body. Sin works through this vessel called our flesh. And my flesh is subject to the law of sin. It cannot be subject to God. It cannot obey God. When I am in the flesh, that's why we've started this time of fulfillment with fasting because fasting is taking the flesh off of the throne, humbling the flesh and letting the spirit man come back to life. But as long as the flesh is on the throne, you're going to keep in this frustration that Paul illustrates here. The good that I would, I do not. I know what's right. I want to do it. I know I should be praying. I know it will bless my life. I know it'll bring blessings into my life. It'll make me a better person. It'll empower me for ministry. It'll make me more anointed. It'll make me a better witness. Uh, It's going to be the difference maker in my life. And I want to do it. I know I should be doing it, but I don't do it. And the reason is, is the flesh is on the throne. And so we start with humbling ourselves by bringing our flesh under submission. But that's not enough. Because just bringing the flesh under submission does not necessarily guarantee spiritual growth now we need to pray amen how many of you know that prayer is what we need to do how many of you know it'll draw you closer to god how many want to pray how many want that relationship with god how how many here want to know god so well that his thoughts become meshed with our thoughts In our mind, we have the mind of Christ. And our thoughts are conformed to the thoughts of God so that I begin to see things the way that God's... How many really want that? Is there anybody here that wants to be so close to God that when one of His thoughts just brushes the surface of my spirit, I react immediately with obedience and submission? That's what I want. But that only comes through prayer through communion and relationship with God. I know you feel this way. I know I feel this way. I want that. That's what I really, really want. But the reason that there's a little bit of tension in here today is because 
so few of us actually do it. The good that I would, I do not. And I think the reason we don't pray is not because we don't know how to pray. Jesus made very clear how we should pray. You can easily get a book and find out how to pray. But I think the reason that we don't pray is because we lose touch with the why. Not the how, but the why. We lose the context for prayer. Now, let's get real. Whether we've actually voiced this or even consciously thought it through, I believe this is the way that we think. And, and, and uh, some of this you may have heard before, but I feel like this bears repeating today. This is the way that we think. Whether we have thought about it or consciously brought it to the surface or not. When we're Christians and we're not praying, we must be thinking this way. I love God. God loves me. He knows all things. He knows what I need. He knows where I need to go. He knows what needs to happen. I'm his child. He wants the best for me. His will is being done in my life because he's in charge. And while prayer is good and edifying, I don't really need to pray because beyond, making, beyond it just making me more conscious of God, where is the real need for prayer? Because God already knows what I need. God knows where I need to be. His will is being done in my life because he's my heavenly father. So why do I really need to pray? I think this is why a lot of us fall off the wagon and start well and lose our prayer discipline because we lose the context for prayer and we justify prayerlessness. I'm not saying you, I'm saying we, okay? We justify prayerlessness because we're still saved. We're still making it. We see God's favor and blessings, different places in our life. And because of that, we feel okay to let that discipline of prayer slip away. We lose the purpose. We lose the urgency of prayer and other things take its place because we've lost the why. Why do we pray? And I, I want to spend just a few minutes before we leave here talking about why we should pray. Because if, if we don't know why we should pray, it doesn't matter whether we know how to pray or not. But we need to understand why it's important, even though you've already been born again, even though you know God's blessings are already in your life, why is it important for you to regularly pray? There's two points I want to make today. The two points are this. Number one, prayer changes us in ways that nothing else will. Why we should pray? Because prayer changes us in ways that nothing else will change us. And point number two, prayer invites the action of God on our behalf. Prayer invites the action of God on our behalf. This is why we should pray. The first point, prayer changes us in ways that nothing else will. One of the great men, I believe is Raven Hill, said, 
a sinning man will stop praying. And a praying man will stop sinning. Amen? Because something about prayer, it has a purging effect. And I believe that prayer is the key to holiness and purity. You can't be purged through actions. You can't be purged by following a list of rules. But you can be purged through prayer. Because a sinning man's going to stop praying. And a praying man is going to stop sinning. I want to read to you from Isaiah 6. A story of what happened when Isaiah had an encounter with the presence of God. Isaiah 6 and 1. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, Isaiah says, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, and with twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly, and he cried unto, and one cried unto another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Now, I want you to understand what's happening here. Isaiah is having a vision and an encounter with God. Isaiah is having a time of prayer and relationship with God. And during this time of prayer, something happens to him. Let's continue reading. Verse 5, Isaiah says, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The first thing that happened, the first thing that happened to Isaiah when he came into the presence of God is he said, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. Uh, The first thing that happens when you really spend time with God in prayer, it begins to change you because it brings you to a place uh, where you recognize your sin and you confess uh, your sin before the Lord. Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips lips. Uh, This changes you in a way that nothing else can ever change you. Amen? Amen. Verse 6, then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, lo. So first of all, it was, woe is me. Then the seraphim said, lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Hallelujah. So the first thing that happens is, whoa, I realize there's sin. God cleanse me. And the second thing happens is the word low, which, which is followed by the, 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 uh, the angel, the seraphim, saying you are cleansed. How many realize that there's a cleansing that happens uh, when you spend time in the presence of the Lord? There's a cleansing of our heart. Uh, there's a cleansing of our motives. Uh, there's a cleansing of iniquity. There's a cleansing of our spirit uh, that happens when we get in the presence of the Lord. Something transforms in us uh, when we spend time in prayer. It starts with confession and then it moves to cleansing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, 
go and tell this people. What happened to Isaiah in the presence of the Lord? He came into the presence of the Lord. Isaiah was a prophet. He's a good man, but he needed renewal. Isaiah was a good man. He was a famous, well-known writer, a prophet of God. But in the year that King Uzziah died, it was time for him to reboot and renew. And when he came into the presence of the Lord, three things happened. He said, woe. The angel said, lo, and then God said, go. Woe was for his cleansing, his need for confession of his sins. Low was for his cleansing, and go was the commission. Amen. That God said, now I have cleansed you, and now you can go do what I asked you to do. Something happens when we pray. I want to tell you, there's a transformation and a change that happens when you pray and when you spend time in the presence of God that cannot be done any other way. This cannot be affected. This, cannot, this transformation, this change cannot come until you come in the presence of the Lord. God's got a plan for you. God's got a work for you. There are people that need to be impacted by the ministry that God's put in your spirit, but it's got to start, hallelujah, for you coming into the presence of the Lord. And when you get in the presence of the Lord, when you come face to face to God, the closer you get to him, the more you're going to realize the own uncleanness in your life and confession is going to come out and you're going to recognize the need for repentance. And then during that time, the next step is God's going to put a hot coal on your lips and cleanse the iniquity and purge the sin. Why? Not just so you can be clean so that when there is a need, he can say to you, go. There's lost people in this community. There is a commission that we've been called to do. We've been told to go into all the world and preach the gospel and to make disciples. Jesus is not going to be making any disciples anymore. We are the ones that have to make disciples now. But in order for you and I to be able to make disciples, we've got to get close enough to the presence of the Lord that we can begin to confess our sins. Hallelujah. And that we can begin to turn away from our sins. And then he can cleanse us from our iniquities. So after we're sanctified, we can be used by God. You can't be sanctified without spending time in his presence. Doesn't matter how good a preaching you listen to. Doesn't matter how good your intentions are. This type of thing that I'm talking about, that change that happens in you, only happens in the presence of God. And that only happens in times of prayer when you get desperate, when you get serious, when you get down to business with God, when you spend some time in your prayer closet, when you spend some time and you get down to business with God and God, hallelujah, in his presence, you're going to fall down and say, whoa, I didn't realize how much sin it got led into my life. I didn't realize how much rebellion was there. I didn't realize how my attitude had gotten out of control. I didn't realize how my priorities had gotten all jacked up. I didn't realize how little time I was investing in God's purpose woe unto me I'm a man of unclean lips but the Lord's going to send a cleansing agency the blood of the lamb and then there's going to be something that says lo you are cleansed your iniquity is purged no matter what you've done and what you've said there is a cleansing and at the end of the day you can go with the anointing you can go and be a part of God's purpose praise God somebody give him praise right now Also in this passage, you notice that there is, that, 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 that it's, a, uh, it, it's, a, it's a shifting of the direction of our focus. 
It starts out, we're focusing on Him. The vision is upward. And when we turn our eyes upon Jesus, we begin to recognize the sin in our own life, the issues in our own life. When we turn our eyes upon Jesus, uh, it begins to reveal things in us. And then that brings the next step. First of all, he looks up, then he looks in. This is what happens in prayer. First of all, you look to God, then you look inside. And God begins to reveal things that you need to confess and pray and ask God to forgive. But once you look inside, that's not where it stops. Then he says, look out and go. And our vision turns outward to the needs of those that we need to reach out to, those that we need to pray for, those that we need to minister to, but this happens only in the presence of God. There's no other way that this can take place, uh, that you come into his presence, you look into his face, uh, and it causes you to look inside and ask for cleansing. The cleansing comes, and then your vision looks out uh, to what God has called you to do. There are things that happen in you that can only happen through prayer. That's why you and I need to pray. I said, that's why you and I need to pray. Hallelujah. That's why you and I need to pray. Praise God. This is the essence of prayer's purpose. Seeing him, then seeing our need, and then seeing them that need God. Because our soul is drawn out in prayer. It makes the soul tender. It makes us sensitive to God. And time with God enhances our relationship with him and makes us more like him. And I know we have this desire. Deep down, we long for that intimacy with God. There's a part of us that's hungry for that. doesn't matter who you are, how old, how young you are, whether you've been in church a long time, whether you've never been in church. There's something in all of us that longs for that closeness and intimacy with God, to be in that secret place of trusting him and walking with him daily. Because there's something that happens in us that can only happen through prayer. If you agree with that, shout amen. Amen. All right. The second point is this. Prayer, why should we pray? Because prayer invites the action of God on our behalf. I believe it was a watchman knee that said, Prayer is to the believer what capital is to the businessman. If you have much prayer, you have much power. If you have little prayer, you have a little power. If you have no prayer, you have no power. And what does the Bible say? I want to remind some of you of this. The Bible says that God owns everything. All of the earth is his and the fullness thereof. We understand that God owns everything, but when we look at this issue a little bit further, it says in Psalm 115 and 16, it says, The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. So we see a distinction here between heaven and earth. While all of it belongs to God... It says that he hath given the earth to the children of men. God owns it all, but he gave dominion in the earth to you and I. Psalm 9 and 24 says the earth is given into the 
hand of the wicked. That's why Satan is referred to as the God of this world because he has garnered influence with humanity and the earth has been given to mankind. In Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says, God put a man in the garden to keep it and to take care of it. But God wasn't the one that took care of the garden. He said, man, I'm putting you here, Adam. You take care of it. This is your domain. And by the way, all the animals that you see, I want you to name the animals. God didn't name the animals. God gave Adam the responsibility to name the animals. Because even though God owned it all, he gave man dominion and authority in the earth. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying here? So whatever Adam called the animal, that's what its name was. And this concept is the concept of dominion. God gave humanity dominion on the earth. So whatever man called it, man said, that looks like an elephant. I'm going to call it an elephant. So it was an elephant. God didn't name the elephant, but man named the elephant because God gave man dominion on the earth and over the earth and told him to keep it and to take care of it. So the point I'm making is everything is God's, but he has given, or if you want to say leased or rented or released the earth or the physical realm to humanity. We are in dominion. We have dominion on the earth. Are you guys with me? You're like, where in the world are you going with this? God is in control. He owns it all. But there's a distinction between heaven and earth. God's still in control in heaven, but he's given us dominion on the earth. Can I get an amen? So this is a way to understand this, and I've shared this uh, several years ago at Life Church in the old building, but I want to remind you of this. The law of domain in the USA is this. A landlord. What's a landlord? A landlord is somebody that owns the property, right? But he lets somebody else have rights to the property because he leases the property to them. And because of the law of domain, a landlord relinquishes rights of passage when he leases property to a renter. So that what that means is whenever you rent out, let's say you own three homes and you live in one and you rent the other two out and you, somebody signs a lease, you relinquish your rights of passage into that property. So that means it's still your house, but you don't go walking in there at three in the afternoon and go looking through the fridge. Any cookies in here? Any horchata in here? Amen. Any juice in here? <laughs> Praise God. So you, you release rights to the property even though you own the property. So you can't walk through your house anymore even though you own the house unless you have permission of the one that you released dominion and authority to. So the earth, the physical realm, is the Lord's. God owns it. 
but he has released rights of domain to us, just like the owner of a house releases rights of domain to someone that he rents it to, and he, the, the person that rents the house, can no longer come and go as he pleases. He agrees to abide by certain guidelines for legal access. So what does that mean? That means that we have dominion over the earth. And God's not going to trespass where we have dominion without our permission. So if I'm renting a house and the uh, hot water heater blows up and is blowing water everywhere, in order for me to get the landlord to come in and look at it and intervene and fix it, I've got to ask him to come. Because once I ask him to come, then I have invited him to come into his original domain, which he has leased to me as my domain, to do work on my behalf. And then he can come in and walk in when he's invited and fix what needs to be fixed. Let me tell you, that's why I believe in the Bible in, 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 uh, in Matthew chapter 6 where, where the Lord shows us how to pray. He says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Then he says, Thy kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. Then he says, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? Why would Jesus ask us to pray that? You know why? Because the will of God is always done in heaven. But the will of God is only done in the earth when we ask for him to have his will done in the earth. Otherwise, we wouldn't have to pray that the will of God be done in the earth. So guess this. This is the point. The will of God is always done in heaven, but the will of God is only done in our domain when we invite him in and we ask him to let his will be done on earth. The kingdom of heaven manifests itself in the earth only in the lives of those that understand the power of prayer. Because if we don't ask him, he's not showing up. If we don't invite him, he's not going to trespass. But if every day we wake up and say, today, in my life, in my family, in my household, everywhere that I go, my request to you, God, is have your way. Move in my family. Move in my situations. I invite you to have your way. Let your kingdom be established in the earth. Come on, somebody. Praise him right now. wondering why God's not intervening in your situation. Have you asked him? Have you given him permission? Why haven't you shown up, God? Why didn't you ask me? Amen? That's your domain. I put you in charge there. But if you need my help, all you got to say is thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. It's not enough for me that God has authority in the heavens. I want him to have authority in my domain as well. Somebody praise him right now. Hallelujah. Somebody praise the Lord. Somebody praise the Lord right now. Hallelujah. 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 Somebody praise him right now. Something happens when we pray. Prayer invites the action of God on our behalf. Lord, I need you. I need you in my family. I need you on the workplace. 
I need you, Lord God, to be anointed. I need, Lord Jesus, for you to give me favor. I need you, Lord, to open doors for me. I need you to have your way in my life, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 There's a passage I like to read. I read it often. It's in, in, in uh, uh, the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse number 36. It says, this is the New Living Translation. Uh, it says, then the surrounding nations that survive will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruins and replanted the wastelands. That sounds like uh, what we've been reading last week. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven, we'll heal their lands. Amen. Amen. And forgive their sins. It says, I, the, the, the nation surrounding will say, look, uh, the Lord has rebuilt the ruins and replanted the wastelands. For I, the Lord, have spoken and I'm going to do what I will say. Amen. God's going to work on your behalf. I want you to say that. God's going to work on my behalf. God wants to step in and make a difference. God has good intentions. God has good plans. God's going to make a difference. God can make a difference in my situation. There is no situation that I'm facing that's beyond the ability of God through his supernatural and divine power to impact. Whether it's in my family, whether it's with my kids, whether it's in my physical health, or whether it's in my finances. One thing I know, that God has good intentions. He said, I'll heal you. I'll restore you. I'll bring it back to you. God's spoken it, and he's going to do it. Somebody praise him right now. Hallelujah. I will do it. This is what I will do. Look at the next verse, verse 37. Thus saith the Lord God, I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. I will increase them with men like a flock. The New Living Translation says, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I'm ready to hear Israel's prayers and to increase their numbers like a flock. All of these promises I have for their life, all of these good intentions, all this favor and divine intervention, I'm waiting for them to ask me. Because as soon as they inquire, as soon as they entreat me, then I'm going to step in. I'm going to bless. I'm going to restore. I'm going to increase them. I'm going to multiply them. But I'm just waiting. In the meantime, I'm just waiting. I wonder how many blessings from God are sizzling in heaven and just waiting for us to entreat him and inquire of him and recognize that our prayers are not just a religious practice, but they are an open door for God to intervene and work in our lives. When we wake up, when we call upon the name of the Lord, when we lift up our voice, when we come into his presence, number one, something changes in us, but number two, we invite the action of God on our behalf. How many want God to work for you? How many want God to fight for you? How many want God to show up and make a difference? Come on, somebody praise him right now. If you're living in a rented home and the, and the heating system's gone down 
Well, let's do something more appropriate here. The air conditioning goes down. And it's August and September. It's 105 during the day, 101 degrees. And your kids are melting in the house. And, and their like, faces are melting down like Frosty the Snowman. And, uh, and there is a landlord that is willing to fix the situation. All he's doing, he doesn't know. He's just waiting. He's just waiting for you to ask. And as soon as you ask, he's going to act. But until you ask, he's going to stay out of the situation because it's your domain now. But when you ask, why would you spend another night sweating in that bed? Why would you spend another day with your kids struggling to make it through? Why don't you call up the owner and say, hey, man, we got an issue here and we need your help. And he says, sure enough, I'll be right over and take it over. Amen. I'll take care of it. Why would you spend another night? Why would you spend another week struggling through it when you recognize that there's somebody that has power to make a difference and he wants to make a difference that's what the bible says god wants to intervene god wants to make a difference god wants to do good things god wants to give good gifts to his children but he's just waiting for you to cry out to him because when you call upon the lord hallelujah you invite god to bring action on your behalf i know there's some people in here that have heard god watch god answer prayers for you that you cried out to god day in and day out and he may not have come when you wanted but he always came right on time he met the need for you in his own way because he's in charge. But one thing, we're not asking God, let my will be done on the earth. But we're saying, God, we're opening up the door that your will can be done in the earth just like it's done in heaven. God, have your way in my life. Have your way in my children. Mom and dad, pray for those kids. Mom and dad, believe that God's going to do something. If you've got something you're asking God for, call upon him because it makes a difference when we pray. Let's stand together and praise him right now. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lift up your hands and praise him right now. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, help us get back on track. Help us understand and practice this important thing that brings change to us and also gives you permission to work and act on our behalf. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because I believe, I really believe that the will of God is not always done in our life. The will of God's not always done in our life. The will of God is done in our life when we pray, let your will be done. When we ask for the will of God to be done, then the will of God can be done in our life. But without us opening daily that door and saying, God, Lead me where you want me to go. Let your purpose and will be done in my life. And until I make this a practice in my life, the will of God may be lingering. The will of God may be stored up in heaven. The will of God for my life may be waiting. 
Just like in Ezekiel, God said, I've, I've got this plan for my people, but I'm just waiting for them to entreat me. And once they ask me, then I'm going to release the blessing. I'm going to release the favor. I'm going to make it happen. There's power in prayer. There's power in consistent prayer. There's power in prevailing prayer. The Bible says, ask and ye shall receive. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. Now there's a lot of things that we can do that uh, is more attractive, intriguing, entertaining, gets greater attention. The only thing that gets the attention of the king is the Cinderella of the church. That humble, prayerful, on the knees approach to our Heavenly Father. And I believe, I really believe that God is calling someone in this place to prayer. And there may be some in this place that It's been a while since you really opened up and talked to God. There's something kind of humbling about really praying. (laughs) You have to admit, hey, I need you. I need your help. I need you to intervene in this situation. There's a lot of times in life life we, we, we come across things that we can't handle. And sometimes I believe God allows us to come across things that we can't handle so that we'll turn to Him. Because he longs to have a relationship with us. Because he loves us. He loves us so much that he paid the ultimate sacrifice to be returned to fellowship with us. And if we don't talk to him, if we don't spend time in his presence, if we don't let his spirit transform us, if we don't open the door for him to work on our behalf, then why in the world did he shed his blood die on the cross to make that relationship possible I believe the cry of the heart of the Lord today is why don't you talk to me let's spend some time together I want to tell you about my passion and my heartbeat I want to pour what I, my dreams and my visions for your community, for your school for where you're positioned for your workplace, for your family I want to pour my heart into you that's the kind of relationship he wants to have with you a loving relationship So before we leave here today on this Valentine's Day, I wonder if we could gather up around the the front here as friends and and family, guests, and church members all alike. Can we gather up here together before we leave? Because for a moment, we're going to talk to Jesus. And we're going to ask the Lord to let this word sink into our spirits. spirit I've I've given it out I've given it and and I believe the Lord's spoken now and now it's time for us to just communicate with him a little bit right now I want us to talk to him for a minute this is what prayer is about it's about communion with God it's about talking with him now you don't have to say all the right things you don't have to have a specific posture you don't have to scream and shout although you can 
but it's about talking to God. And right now, instead of going through the religious practice of doing what everybody else around us is doing, I wonder if we could close our eyes for a moment. Because we're going to talk to him right now. Now, while your eyes are closed, I want us to imagine ourselves in that place that Isaiah was, where the presence of the Lord appeared to him, where God appeared to him and he looked up into the face of God. And I want us just to begin to talk to the Lord right now. And I want us just to tell him that we love him. And tell him that we want to spend time in his presence. And as you're talking to him, if you feel like you need to clear the air, (laughs) sometimes we need to do that. Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for being rebellious. I'm sorry for being prayerless. I'm sorry for getting distracted on things that seem so important to me, but really, they don't matter. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would wash me and cleanse me and forgive me. Can we talk to God right now? That's it. Just use your voice a little bit. Say, Jesus, I love you right now, Lord God. Lord Jesus, I pray, God, that somehow that this practice, Jesus, of communion with you, communication with you, Lord God, would be reestablished, Lord. I want that connection to be there, Lord God, and I want to be able to call upon your name. I want to hear when you speak, and I want to be sensitive to you, Lord God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that my relationship with you become so real that it's just like my relationship with my children or with my spouse or with my parents. Lord, because I love you and I thank you, Come on, talk to him for what you've done in my life. I thank you that you forgave me. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that, that, that you did what it took to restore relationship with me, that you cleansed me from all of my sins. And I want to say thank you to you, Lord. And I want to let you know that my heartbeat, Lord Jesus, is to be close with you, even though I don't act like it all the time. And sometimes my priorities don't reflect it. Jesus, I'm standing before you today, Lord God. And I want you to know that I love you with all of my heart. And I want to be close to you, Lord Jesus. I want to be right with you, Lord God. I want your presence to be manifest in my life. I want to be a vessel of honor, Lord Jesus. I'm praying, Lord God, that I could be used by you. And I pray that you would wash me, Lord Jesus, that you would cleanse me in your presence, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. I see your face, and I realize, Lord God, that you are holy, and I'm sure not, but God, I pray that I would be like you, that I could be holy as you are holy. I pray that you would cleanse me because I'm a man of unclean lips. I've made mistakes this week, Lord God. I messed up. I fumbled the ball. I dropped it, Lord Jesus. I tried, and I messed up, and I'm asking that you would wash me and cleanse Cleanse me, Lord God. Cleanse my mind. Cleanse my words. Cleanse my thoughts right now, Lord God. Right down to the depth of me. I pray that you would cleanse me, Lord. Let a hot coal from the altar cleanse me right now. In the name of Jesus, purge me from my iniquities. Wash me, and I will be white as snow. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Hallelujah. Create in me a clean heart and renew, renew, renew a right spirit within me. Come on, reach for him right there. He's close to you right now. Just talk to him where you are. If you want to lift up your hands, you can. Just reach your heart out to him right now because he's so close. He's right there. He's as close as the mention of his name right now. Hallelujah, because you're going to start to feel the cleansing. You're going to start to feel.
You're going to start to feel the purging. You're going to start to feel the breaking. You're going to start to feel the renewal. Hallelujah. Because God's going to use you. The deal's still on. He never gave up on you. He didn't quit on you. Didn't matter how many mistakes you made. He still loves you. And I'm asking today, Hashataya, cleanse me, oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Hallelujah. Use me, Lord God, for your purpose. And anoint me, King of glory. Hallelujah. you to begin to pray for your household, pray for your family, and pray for our region right now. Jesus, we're asking, Lord God, I'm asking for your favor to be on my household. I pray, Jesus, that you would bless my children right now, Lord God. Let your will be done in their lives, Lord God. Open doors for them. Let your favor be upon them, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I ask you, Lord God, that you would bless my home, Lord. Let it be a place, Lord Jesus, of restoration and renewal. Let my kids, Lord Jesus, uh, be blessed. I pray, Lord God, that you would help me to be the best father I could be, to be the best husband that I can be. Lord, let your will be done in my life. Intervene through me. God, I pray for our community. I pray for this city. And I pray, God, let your will be done in Monrovia. Let your will be done at Monrovia High School. Let your will be done, Lord Jesus, in the city hall. Let your will be done in this community, I pray, in the name of the Lord. 
Lord. We give you authority, Lord Jesus, to work on behalf, Lord Jesus, of those broken and hurting, God. I pray, Lord Jesus, it's your spirit. We give you permission, Lord God. Move in right now into the prison cells, into the jail cells where people are hurting. I pray, Lord God, that you move right into the crack houses where people are sticking needles into their arms, smoking stuff, Lord God, whose lives are hopeless. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd move into the bars where people are drunk, ignoring their families and bringing hurt on their children. I pray, Lord God, let your will be done in their lives. We invite you. We open the doors, God, that you would move on the street corners of our city, in this community right now, that a fire of revival would be lit in this house. In the name of Jesus, we ask you right now, come on, lift your voice. Exercise your authority. Hear us from heaven, hear us from heaven, hear us from heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I know I've said this word a lot frequently, but I feel a miracle in the house today. There's somebody that needs a divine intervention. You need a miracle. Whatever it is, whether it's a physical healing or, or a financial miracle, it's something that you can't resolve, you can't fix. You need God to step in. You need God to step in. This is something you can't take care of in your own, and you want God to step in. I want you to step forward right now because the men of God are going to lay hands on you in Jesus' name, and there are going to be miracles that come out of this place today. I believe that with all my heart. We've got the authority to do it. God has called us and equipped us uh, to be able to speak, and we have dominion in this house uh, for there to be deliverance. Is there anybody here that needs a miracle from God? You want to believe God for a miracle for your family or in your situation? Step forward right now in the name of the Lord. Our sister here has come forward. Sister Phoebe as well. Come on up. People of God right now. Hallelujah. I need our prayer partners to join us uh, because there's miracles that are going to be released. Uh, We have dominion in this place right now to speak. Uh, Hallelujah. Men of God, I want you to anoint these with oil and I want you to pray the prayer of faith over them. And I want you to command a miracle into their life. Uh, I want you to uh, speak the word that says, Lord Jesus, uh, we are releasing you into their situation. And we are, we are asking, Lord God, that your will be done in them and through them. God, you know what the need is. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. That's it. All across the front here are people that need a miracle from God. In the name of Jesus. I want you to believe. I want you to believe right now. Hallelujah. The things that you can't handle, you're saying, God, I'm opening up. Let your will be done in this situation. God, I'm opening up and giving you the rights and permission to intervene right here, right now. Hear us from heaven. 